Hey everyone, this is Matt Kamen, your host of Nonprofit on the Rocks, co-founder of Envision Consulting, a consulting company that is national doing recruiting and strategy work for nonprofits with Ashley Waterson and me, both post-COVID. So I can't make any promises, Ashley. I don't know if you can, but our brain's working any better or worse than last time. I don't know. We may have COVID fog, but maybe to your point, that helps us. Maybe somehow COVID fog reverses some of the brain challenges we had pre-COVID. I think that two wrongs make a right. (laughs) That's all I'm saying. We cannot be sure otherwise. Yeah. The good thing about all of this is that you had COVID before you left your trip in Europe. I had COVID the day I came back from my trip from Europe. So we are blessed, but I'm going to ask you a question, Ashley, and I need you to respond honestly. And we both know you're a big liar. Hey, ready? I don't know that I can be truthful, but, but shoot, go ahead. So, you know, our listeners know how much that we pay you for this show, which is in coins. And you just took like a very fancy, bougie trip to Europe. And I'd like to know where my credit card is. <laughs> Matt, truth, hand to God right now. It's in one of the boxes that was seized at Mar-a-Lago. <laughs> that's, that's where my credit card is? Matt, I would love to give it back to you, but right now the FBI has it. Well, I just want to say that I'm going to dispute all the charges. And I hope you really enjoyed that trip to Europe because that's the last nice thing you're getting for a while. But Matt, I love Hermes. (laughs) (laughs) Don't make me give it back, Matt. It's the middle of summer, but I have a Canada Goose jacket I can't take off. (laughs) It really does make the difference. That 500 extra dollars. I'm telling you, there's something about those Canadian geese. Listen, I understand But the answer is you have to give it back. I'm sorry. (laughs) Fine. Here I thought it was sort of my bonus. You did get a bonus, actually. And I feel like now you don't appreciate it. I don't think we can count your free advice (laughs) as the bonus, okay? Uh, That advice is what keeps this consulting company going, (laughs) just so you know. We are a consulting company doing advice every day. That is true. The difference is Envision's clients get it regarding their work. You give it to me regarding my appearance. Mm. So Mm. I feel it's a little different. (laughs) So now that you and I are both back from our trip to Europe and both completely out of practice... How do you think that this intro is going so far? I feel like it's going about as well as one can expect when they're still jet lagged. Mm. By the way, confession, I thought until maybe last week that it was jet lag. That's ridiculous, Ashley. You're the editor of this show and you don't even know jet lag. And as the editor, I will likely take that part out. That admission will never see the light of day. So on that note, can you tell us, Ashley, about the fact that I take two showers a day and why Aaron Huber Rosen would not like that? Yes, Aaron Huber Rosen, who is our guest on today's show, is the founder of Drink Local, Drink Taff, um, which is sort of a misnomer for what her organization really does. I mean, they are in Uganda doing tons of work on bringing clean water there. She's got education programs here in the United States. She's just one of those people, Matt, that makes you and I just look like absolute schlubs because she's literally out there doing her part to save the world. She is doing her part to save the world and water. And the question is though, if she knew I took two showers a day, would she have still agreed to be on this show? I mean, I think you were smart not to tell her that when you were setting up the interview, like waiting until you were in the interview to drop that on her, because there is a good chance that she would have said, you know, peace out. Mm, and then when that. you went on to tell her how much you like uh, single use plastic and how you've replanted your front yard with almond trees and pomegranate trees, right? Listen, almonds do make a lot of money and pomegranate juice is real expensive. And I do all of that to give back to the community. So I don't appreciate that. 
I'm not the best when it comes to nature, but at the same time, I am so impressed with this mission, with this cause, with Aaron. Water really is one of those things that I think we all take for granted and don't understand that at one time, any day, you turn on that tap and there's no water. So it is really, really important for us to realize that, but also to realize a lot of people in the world actually don't have water. And so we do take it for granted. You're absolutely right. I think it's something we take for granted, but you know what? Aaron doesn't take it for granted and she understands just the sanctity and the importance of water. All right. On that note, Ashley, should we let them listen to our friend Aaron? Absolutely. Hello, Aaron Huber. How are you tonight? I'll say I am good. You are good. What are you drinking tonight? I have vodka soda with fresh watermelon in it and lime. Ooh, watermelon. No one's done that on the show before. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, what about you? Some Eagle Rare bourbon. So cheers. Mm, cheers. Thank you. So you're a friend of my friend, Jen Levy, who is also a founder. So both of you are crazy. And are you located in Ohio? I am. I'm in Cleveland. Cleveland. All right. So all I know about Ohio is that you've got really phenomenal graters ice cream. Those are the things that I know. <laughs> okay. We have a lot of great ice cream breweries and 20% of the world's fresh water right here. You have 20% of the world's fresh water? Yes, sir. Okay, we need to talk about that. Uh, <laughs> so first, I want everybody to know, so so yes, you're a friend of Jen's, and she was like, you have to meet my friend Erin. She's amazing and awesome, and I want her story told. And you are the founder of an organization that is called Drink Local, Drink Tap. So we're going to talk about that as well. First, okay, 20%. How is it possible for a little state in the middle of the country to have 20% of the world's freshwater? How is that possible? All right. So it's not just in our Lake Erie, but it's in the Great Lakes system. And it does. It has 20% of the whole world's fresh surface water. So not in glaciers, not in the ground. Yep. That's crazy. So I want to know something. We're like in this crazy drought here in, in California. Here's my question. If they could build a pipe that transports oil all across the country... Why can't we have a pipe that just sends water to us? Why is that not possible? We love you, but we don't want to give it to you. It'll mess up the whole ecosystem. <laughs> all right. All right. That's, that's really selfish and I don't like that. What about, what about just like taking water from like Montana? They have a lot of water in Montana. Why don't we just, I mean, isn't there a solution for the water issue in California besides not using it? Yeah, yeah, of course, there's technology, but you have to have the political will and the people willing to invest up front to make it all happen, to make the conservation happen, the water recycling, it's got to happen at scale. Yeah, so I'm assuming you know that Jen takes like a 30 second shower every day, like that's it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and are you, <laughs> are you the same way as her? Like if I happen to drink like a plastic water bottle, would you also be so pissed at me that Jen is? Of course. Yeah. 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 And you know, I know about Jen showers because she stayed with me for a month in Uganda and Africa. And I know she is very good at water conservation. Except when she goes to a state with a lot of water and then she's like <laughs> gloriously taking like a five. <laughs> all right. First of all, tell us a little bit about your charity and what it is that you guys do. Sure. So I founded this organization in 2010 and we focus on water education and water equity issues. So in our educational programming, we work in schools, which is how I met Jen. She started volunteering for us and started doing that and helped us develop the program. And then globally and locally here in greater Cleveland, we do water equity work. So just making sure that all humans eventually have access to clean water. So why water? Why is water so important to you that you started your own nonprofit around it? I have a real problem with people suffering and water connects a lot of our equity issues globally, education and girls and women and the elderly and just so many different things are connected to having or not having clean water and sanitation. So I figured if I worked in water, I could help not only people, but I could also help the environment and reduce the suffering that the environment sees from us creating plastic pollution and other things. 
Right, like the plastic bottles that Jen. <laughs> but like, I mean, it doesn't just happen. I mean, I also think water is really important. And, you know, I, we plant, we got rid of our grass at our house and we have like, you know, native succulents and like we mm-hmm. really do do our best. I do take two showers a day. I do. But other than that, but like how, why? Why water? Uh, I don't like affect your, your life so much. So I, I grew up on Lake Erie, which is part of the Great Lakes here in North America. I grew up in Cleveland and I had just a, since I was a kid, a very strong connection to the lake. And when I started seeing pollution on the beaches, um, as I got older, a lot more plastic pollution, I started getting angry. And along that same line during my teenage years, I, I got really angry about humans suffering in a variety of ways. I helped the homeless for a while. I did lots of different stuff, but I wanted to help people not suffer and my lake that I love not suffer. Hmm. So it just eventually combined into a very short story combined into drink local drink tap. So I lived in the Middle East. We live in LA. We, I think, take water for granted. There's no question about it. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think, wasn't there, where was, what was the city in South Africa where they literally were about to turn the water off because they had Cape no Town. Water? Great. And then all of a sudden now they, they have water again? Is that? Mm, not exactly. But they're getting there. The different parts of the world, everybody has different problems, right? And especially when you layer climate change on top of everything, you have too much water, too little water, too dirty water. And that's how climate change expresses itself through water. So we all have different problems. So yours, like in California, might look a lot like rural sub-Saharan Africa, right? And the drought and the conservation. But I can take a long shower in Cleveland. (laughs) So the question is, do you take a long shower in Cleveland? Compared to Jen? Yes. Compared <laughs> to normal people? No. <laughs> oh, you'd be so mad at me. She's already so mad at me. So I get your connection to water, right? But that doesn't necessarily translate into starting and founding a nonprofit that has to do with water. What does your nonprofit do that there isn't another nonprofit that does the same thing or that is so important that you are there? I love this question. So I did not start my own nonprofit right away. In 2009, our mayor in Cleveland had the sustainability summit and he wanted all Clevelanders to come together and talk about how to make Cleveland sustainable by the year 2019. And one of the groups that kind of ended up forming out of this three-day summit was a water group. I ended up in that. And, you know, 60 people, high energy, want to solve all the problems of our Great Lakes. And then all of a sudden it ended up being five people and I was in grad school and other people have full-time jobs and families and blah, blah, blah. So we said, what can we tangibly do and to protect our lake? We came up with this drink local drink tap campaign, which accidentally became our name. And here we are in 2022. And we were encouraging people to use less single use plastic. And then all of our other programming spun out from there. We do beach cleanups every month, a couple of months on Lake Erie. Still to this day, we do school programming that teachers anywhere can use. And then fast forward, we also work internationally. That same year in 2010, when I was starting all of this, I met a teacher from Uganda. I was talking in her classroom about local and global water issues and equity issues and quality issues. And she said, oh, my kids are writing pen pal letters to kids in Uganda where I'm from. I said, what are they saying? She said, they have no water, no parents, no shoes, no clothes, no books. Da, 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 da. And I was like, okay, well, I need to help. I heard about a problem and I need to solve it. And that's just how I operate. <laughs> so first of all, that's amazing. But I also have so many questions for you. Okay. So the first thing is you started a nonprofit that just, just all of a sudden became drink local drink tap, which you know, actually does, by the way, say exactly what it means. Like the nice thing about your nonprofit, it does tell me exactly what you're trying to do. However, you're doing a lot of other things. So first of all, are you happy with your name or should we all kind of think about, maybe we can make it a Twitter campaign, what we should rename you? Ooh, I am not happy with the name because I don't think it speaks to us as a whole. So I am open to ideas and campaigns and everything. And 
also the funding to make that all happen with branding. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, the, the second part I can't help you with, but the first part I can. And by the way, you Ashley's brain just exploded because now Ashley's like thinking to herself, "Ooh, I could do a Twitter campaign that like no one's going to listen to because I'm terrible at Twitter. I can do an Instagram page. We, Aaron, are going to get suggestions of what to name your organization. So if not drink local, drink tap, which does say exactly what it is that you started this organization to do. First, let's go to Uganda. So what are you doing out there? What is your organization doing there? So we're solving water and sanitation equity issues immediately. So that human right to water, we're making sure that people can realize that. So we are drilling deep wells. We are building massive rainwater harvesting systems to collect rainwater and pipe it at schools and in villages. We're building latrines, we're building bathing areas for little girls so they can wash during their time of the month. So we're doing everything water, sanitation, and hygiene, mostly at rural schools, but it also benefits the broader community. Wow, that's really amazing. I mean, it's a big country. So how do you figure out which sites? Like, how do you decide where to do it? How do you have the funding for it? So many questions, see, so many questions. Where the kids were writing pen pal letters to kids here. But after that, I didn't realize... I actually didn't know that we would do any more projects. And all of a sudden people heard that we did one. So, hey, can we do another one? And have you met these people and these people? And it was super grassroots for a while. Fast forward to 107 projects later, we have agreements with the district government officials and the Ministry of Water and all of those people. Funding is tricky like with everything else. We are still, unfortunately, very project to project and funding. So it's very hard for me to plan ahead, though I have a pipeline full of communities waiting for help who've been vetted and everything. It's just getting that support. So some of that comes from companies, some comes from some support comes from individuals or families, some comes from school kids who raise money for us. Hmm. So, yeah. So if right now Mackenzie Scott gives you a check for $5 million, which by the way, she's doing, and it's so nice to see somebody with that much money making such a huge impact in this country. And she is. So right now, Mackenzie Scott, we're putting that out there, Mackenzie, you're giving Aaron $5 million. Okay, here you go, Aaron. Drink local, drink tap when we change your name. Here's $5 million. What are you going to do with that money in Uganda? My first phase would be to reach my goal of helping 100,000 people get access to clean water. And I would also mesh in their sanitation and toilets right away. Those are two things I would want to solve. And that would only be probably using like $2 million. So I guess I would have to make a bigger plan for scaling efforts. But I think what I would end up doing is trying to fully help all of the districts that we work with. We work in about 15 districts. So to be able to see the full transformation of communities, gaining access to clean water and sanitation, to see how health would change and just everything, education, that would be incredible. So I'm going to ask you a really stupid question. So, cause I'm confused. So you said access to clean water, but is, is Uganda in a drought kind of like we are, or do they, do they have like a plethora of water that rains there? So Uganda is actually bordered to the South by Lake Victoria, which is the second largest freshwater lake in the whole world. Stark differences, they don't have infrastructure. So we are in the business of infrastructure in rural infrastructure and the, and the rural people will never get connected. Their votes don't matter as much. They're far from the city centers and it's just different. They're treated differently. So there's a lot of urban development. And honestly, you asked me earlier how we pick our projects. A lot of NGOs do work in areas where maybe there's better Wi-Fi or a little more comfortable accommodations. And when we picked our districts originally, we really wanted to go where other people weren't working. And so although the nonprofit world can be super saturated, and it is, I think the work that we're doing stands out. We have a lot of different components to our special sauce, making our projects awesome. But then also, I think the, the intentional move to work in areas where other people aren't, we can make a huge impact. That absolutely answers my question. But again, if the lake is the second largest lake in the world, 
and there isn't the infrastructure to move that water to folks who need it. If they had the infrastructure, they'd be fine with water. It wouldn't be kind of like here in California. I mean, there's enough water to support everybody who needs it in Uganda if they had the infrastructure. Is that what you're saying? I think if the right technology and distribution was used. So I don't think that you can leapfrog everything in development, but I do think there are some things that you can leapfrog. And I think on the larger scale of federal government run and managed infrastructure, Uganda's kind of starting from scratch. So taking lessons learned from all these other places, right, that haven't done it really great, like Cleveland, we have, you know, wooden pipes and weird stuff here. They're so old. I think that there's a way to do it where water recycling could be done really well, like in Israel. I think water conservation could be done really well. And I think, you know, climate change is always there and it's going to be here and it's unpredictable. And so that's a layer that we don't know how to plan for. But I think I see a lot happening in Uganda with like disappearing wetlands and everything that could really keep the lake health the way it should be for sustainability. So there's a lot of things at play. Okay. So that's, that's actually nice to hear. At least they have the water. It's just the infrastructure. So, so Mackenzie's going to give you a check for 5 million and you're going to be able to use that money to actually deliver water to people who need it. Right. So what this means is that we need to now think of a name for your nonprofit that incorporates what you're doing there. And, mm -hmm. and if you got more money, are there other countries that you would go to, or at least, you know, like other places mm -hmm. that you would want to expand to? I don't think so. I think that there's enough work in Uganda for my lifetime. And what I've learned about working with communities and making sustainable development actually happen and actually be sustained, you have to take it slow. You have to build relationships. You have to build trust and move with culture. And there's so much that goes, there's so much people stuff that goes into it that when if I think about drink local drink tapping spread to even more than one country, it just dilutes part of our special sauce of being experts in Uganda. Okay. That's fair. Yeah. That's fair. And I, I think there is also such a thing as mission drift, which mm. means that you do more than what your mission is because that's what you're funded for. And I think that that's really smart. That that's where you want to stop, which I appreciate because you're never gonna be done. Like there's always more to do. So, yeah. okay. So that's, that makes sense for Uganda. So let's now go back to Cleveland and Ohio. The mission of Drink Local, Drink Tap, which I understand how it started. What else are you doing now? Our educational programming is our big thing, not only in schools, but in the community. And so the way that we do a lot of community education, it starts at the beach. So if people come to volunteer, we start to educate them about single-use plastic pollution and other things and start to also build a connection with the lake so that they care about it over time. And so there's that kind of grassrootsy stuff happening in the community. But then in schools, we have a robust free for educators anywhere. It's STEM connected. We send physical educators to classrooms in Northeast Ohio. We have documentaries. We have a book now that we publish that teaches a young person how to make an action plan to impact any problem they care about. So we have a variety of ways to plug in and learn about water, get inspired to care about it and to care about each other. So tell me why we should care about water. If people right now listening don't know the answer to that, you're all ridiculous. But tell me, Erin, why should we care about water? Well, clean water is life and no one else is going to take care of it for us. And so it's, a, it's this public thing that gives us life, gives, gives everything life. And if we're not taking care of it, if our only impact to it is negative and we're just polluting and using and overusing and not paying attention, it might not be there or it might not be usable or a myriad of things can happen. So not only because it gives us life should we care about it, but because it runs the world, literally it runs all life on this planet. And we are the only stewards that it has. 
So it's everything, basically. It's everything. It's basically everything. It's everything. So if we were to change your name to all of the other things that you're doing right now in Ohio, like, again, we're putting it out there for the audience to come up with some names, but like what might be a name that pops into your brain right now that makes sense to you? Mm -hmm. I've thought about this too much. I am the wrong person. Like I've thought of like forever water. It's so tough because we do equity engagement and education. And it is kind of like this spaghetti mess of water stuff. It's hard. It's really hard. I think we should name you Spaghetti Water. Spaghetti Water. I love it. <laughs> Done. <laughs> All right. So we're putting it out there right now for the audience who's listening to this, which is my parents and Ashley's mom, that <laughs> if you think of a name that is all-encompassing, right, with water education and the fact that there is a program in Ohio and Uganda, somehow bring it together. Let's figure out something and at least give Aaron some options. Although as we all know, changing a name means changing a brand means a lot of money. But first we're going to get you excited about a name. Then we'll take it from there. <laughs> okay. So I'm going to be selfish because I live in LA. We are right now in a terrible drought and thankfully they're not going to allow us to water our lawns anymore, which I think is ridiculous. We shouldn't have lawns in California. It's mm. silly that we have lawns in California, but the majority of our water actually goes to agriculture. The majority of our water here goes to all of the products that we're growing that people eat and drink in the country. So, okay, that aside, what can we possibly do? I mean, I don't understand why we can't build just desalination plants all up and down the coast. Oh, I have so many answers to this question. One is a very commonly talked about response, which is it takes so much energy to desalinate. It is a very energy intensive process. So I'm sure there's technology coming out every day to, to make it better, but that's one of the reasons. Two, for me, it doesn't inspire behavior change. And so we're still just, just going to be using and abusing forever and ever. That's still not sustainable. So I think that there's a behavior change component. And I think there are other technologies that can help us that maybe are more environmentally friendly and sustainable. And I think Israel, for instance, has a lot to teach us in the way that they turned a desert into growing the most amazing food in the, on the planet. So yeah, I think that there's a couple different reasons we can't do that. And I'm not actually sure about the, the pollution side of, of desalinating, but obviously you're taking all of this salt out of the water where you're putting it, that also becomes a, way, a new waste product. Sure. Every day I'm you know, using water, I think to myself, this isn't something that we just have. I know that it's not so easy to just increase the rates and have us pay more. And that's also not equitable and that's not fair. And obviously, mm -hmm. you know, you have these folks who are rich, who are living in these huge houses, who waste all the water in the world. They're the ones who use it the most, which is really ridiculous. And by the way, if they got fined, they could afford it. So aside from desalination plants and, you know, behavior change, people who are listening right now, what's like three things that we can do individually at our residence that can actually truly save water and make a difference? Well, to save water, I mean, there's all the stuff that we heard growing up as kids, right? It's turning off the faucet when you brush your teeth, taking shorter showers, like Jen, getting a timer in your shower. But there's, again, I'm not, I don't, I'm talking about technology a lot, but I'm not a technology pusher. I normally am not. So I guess there are meters or alarms or trackers that you can hook up to your plumbing in your house to let you know where you're using the most water and where you can conserve more. But I think even in a bigger scope and something that most people don't think about is how and what we consume every day. And so water conservation comes through your diet, having a more plant-based lifestyle than meat or dairy, making sure that you're buying what you need and not always just what you want, not just supporting creating products just to have because you saw an Instagram ad taking a couple more seconds before you buy things that you don't need 
And I think buying better. So buying from more sustainable companies like Patagonia or whatever, who actually put thought into their waste streams and where they're sourcing everything. There's a lot to that and it adds up, but I think water conservation, your diet, number one. Okay. So I know in California that the almond industry uses a lot of water um, <laughs> and right. And pomegranates use a lot of water. So as should there be a product that we like really shouldn't be using? Should there be a product that we shouldn't be buying? Mm, beef. Beef is number one. Okay. So yeah. doing like one or two days without beef really does make an impact. Yep. A pound of beef uh, uses about 3,600 gallons of water. Isn't there like a no beef Monday or something like that? Meatless Monday. Meatless Monday. Yeah, see, I told you my brain wasn't there at all. <laughs> at all in the marketing class I missed too. Okay, so the easiest thing we can do right now is do a meatless Monday, right? All of us yeah. can do that. And then maybe take a shorter shower. I can't promise you, Erin. I can't. <laughs> maybe. And then for those of us who have grass, like take that grass out. You don't need it. Yeah, even in Cleveland, it doesn't matter where you are. Take that grass out. Yeah, grass is just so stupid. Because <laughs> Even, even though it does, yeah, use more water, it's just such a pain. Like it's such a pain mm -hmm. to grow it and to keep it. And then the manure, all the things, just all the things. <laughs> Don't let my brother hear this. He manages a, a fancy golf course. So, <laughs> well, you know, actually I live in an area that's very close to a golf course and they use recycled water for all their grass. So they're right. not, they're not wasting water. They're using recycled water, right? Okay. So let's get back to you and you're not <laughs> in Ohio. So, cause it doesn't have to all be about water in California. So you saw that there was this need and you founded your nonprofit. Okay. And you are here and you're obviously able to sustain a life. So you're paying yourself, I'm hoping. And you know, you've got this thing that's really working. What is one of the most important lessons that you learned that you can tell somebody who's thinking about starting a nonprofit, something that they need to know. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, but here's the thing. Every founder says that, but every nonprofit has been founded. This is this is the vodka soda talking. Um, <laughs> cheers. Yes. Well, it, I guess it depends on how you're coming at it. I have now been labeled like a social entrepreneur, even though you know I've been with this organization for a while now. You can't get everything done in one day, and sometimes you have to build it before they will come. And I did a lot of building it before they will come, before the funders will come, before the, the army of the engaged will come. And it's not easy. And you'll have a lot of haters along the way. And it's not easy to shake them, especially when you have no money, you're living at poverty level, trying to start a nonprofit, and you're not sure what the hell you're doing. So I would say just keep building your team and try to not hate the haters, listen to the haters, but don't take it to heart. Okay, but how did you get past that? I mean, you know, you're starting this thing, you're creating this new baby, like you're putting your whole life, your savings, everything into it, you're not getting paid. And then you have these dicks out there who are haters. So how do you not listen to that noise? Talking to good friends, having a drink and just surrounding yourself with the people who are going to lift you up, not tear you down. I mean, it's like anything in life, really. People to this day, now they're seeing this as like successful over a decade down the road. And they're like, I don't know how you did it. You just followed your dream and you just did it. And so many of us want to do it. And you just went and did it. I'm like, I didn't just go and do it. I mean, it was hard. I almost gave up 5 million times. And you don't get past the haters, but you surround yourself by enough good people that they help you suffer through it. So how long did it take you to get to the point where you said, okay, I've made it. This is a real nonprofit. I don't have to worry about it, right? Like, I mean, we always have to worry about the bottom line and fundraising, whatever. But at what point, how many years in until you were like, yes, we've made it? <laughs> I think it was when we got our first really big donation and those right. Big donations change size as you change size. So a big donation in 2010 is not anymore, but I think, you know, we had somebody give us a big enough donation where we could do some planning ahead and 
that made us get into a groove of having a line of projects happening in Uganda, hiring someone for the Wavemaker program. You know, I had people, I you know, I had people doing stuff besides me. And that's when I started to really feel it. And I think the next step was probably 2019 when we were just about hitting that half a million dollar mark for the first time. We're still pretty small, but we're, you know, almost hitting the half a million dollar mark and things are going. And I'm not as, I always stress out about fundraising every single day of my life, but not as stressed, right? I took the extra lunch meetings and I did the extra mentoring for somebody. And I, I started doing those things and opening myself up a little bit instead of just grinding. Are you proud of yourself? I mean, are you really, like, you were happy with what you did? So right now, 10 years ago, we opened our first project in Uganda and it's not easy to work there. And it's not easy to do sustainable projects. And hundred percent of our projects are fully functioning. We monitor them long-term and I'm very proud of all the specialness that goes into what we do there. I think it was when I realized that we were opening our hundredth project. And when I saw that 100, like one to 100, I didn't even know we would build the first one. And then it turned into two and then five and then 15. And just to think a hundred, it's not even real. And I'd like to pat myself on the back, but I don't make time for it. I did think about it a little bit on my birthday. I turned 40 and thinking, oh my gosh, I spent my entire thirties building 107 projects in Africa (laughs) and building out this school programming in the U.S. But I don't know, there's something about it that just doesn't sink in. I tell everybody who's a founder that like, you're crazy, right? And you're crazy. You are crazy. (laughs) But also you are changing the world, right? Like if it weren't for you, I wouldn't have a job, first of all. There wouldn't be homeless shelters. There wouldn't be hospitals. There wouldn't be places for development to disabled. Like it wouldn't exist. And so mm-hmm. you did that. You did it. You came up with this idea and you did it. And- how? I am stubborn. That's how it happened. I see a problem I want to solve and I solve it. And I won't stop until it's solved. And I'm finally getting to like a healthier balance with that right now. Because I, I know the world water crisis probably will never be solved. But I can still chip away at helping people and making sure people don't die. And I can still chip away at helping young people think outside of themselves and care about the world around them and care about how their actions impact it. I've just started to realize like a lot of the problems that we're working on will never truly go away, but I couldn't live my life without acting to try to solve them. And I know right now we've helped 40,000 people in Uganda get safe water, 15,000 people have sanitation. We've reached 18,000 kids in the U.S. with our school programming. That's a lot of people that won't be the same ever again, or maybe it saved their life. Yeah. And you did that, right? Somehow. And knowing that, and there's always going to be more. And and truly, if you're going to be a strong founder and a good founder, you're never satisfied. And you truly will never like pat yourself on the back because there's (laughs) more to do, right? Tell me, speaking to somebody who wants to be a founder, like, should they truly do it? Like, should they do it? Are you happy? (sighs) When you're a founder, it enters every facet of your life. It really has to be your vocation, your purpose, your everything. So like I am Drink Local, Drink Tap. In Cleveland, I am the water girl. So you become this thing, even though I, Erin, I'm a bunch of other things. Nobody knows that you become the thing that you build. And I've thought about for a while, am I okay with that? And I am, though I want this thing to be here for a long time and I want it to help people forever. So I do want to grow it into something where it's not, just Aaron's face. So I would say that if you're thinking about becoming a founder, just know that it's like a construction project. You're building something. It's going to take five times the amount of money you think it's going to take. It's going to take five times the amount of time or more that you think it's going to take. And once you're in it, you're in it because you're asking your friends and your family and your coworkers and your places of worship and your social groups to all of a sudden one, depart with their hard-earned money for your passion to support this passion impact that you want to make. And you're using up all those favors. And there's a lot of pressure if it fails. Everybody says like, yeah, it's okay to fail, whatever. Not all the time. It's not all the time. 
once you ask all your, all your people to support you, you're, you're in a story at that point and your story, your personal story changes. So I'm very happy with mine, but it's a baby. You're giving birth to a baby. Yeah. A hundred percent. So as you've grown, you've been doing this now for a while, right? At this point, who are you relying on to help you? I'm hoping you're no longer going to your original friends that you went to and now you've moved on a little bit and you've expanded that circle. So who are you relying on right now? My board of directors are a huge part of my support system, especially my board chair. You have to have somebody that you can call with the hard questions or to vent or to help you sort through emergencies. So having a strong board is it's an ongoing process. You're always developing your board. You're always growing it. You're always keeping those relationships. They can be a great asset and support system. I also think having mentors and then also having other executive directors, maybe if you're in that position, you're meeting with them once in a while, you're talking or you're involved in a network where you can share war stories and share problems and maybe brainstorm solutions. That can be helpful. It's hard to make time for. And then I would say I meet with, especially recently, I've been meeting with a lot of my higher net worth donors and brainstorming with them. I've always been a very open person. So what you see is what's actually happening. (laughs) And, you know, what you're hearing out of my mouth is what's actually happening. There's no fakeness here. So they know when I meet with them, I'm bringing them an honest issue. I honestly respect their opinion. I will move forward in, in using some of that and going to them because I respect them. And so I think having those people who can help you sort through problems, depending on what type of problem they are, just, it's critical, especially when you have a small team like we do. Okay. You know, you didn't grow up knowing how to fundraise. This is something that you figured out along the way. So my first question is, do you enjoy fundraising? I do. I wish I had time for it. I wish I made time for it. Uh, I think I can be really good at it when we've been stuck for a while where we're at at about a half a million and COVID knocked us down, you know, all that stuff. But yeah, I think I can be really good at it if I could just focus on that. And I wasn't managing so many people day to day, love my teams, but I'm still involved in decisions that I don't want to be or need to be sometimes. And that's tough because you want to support your team and you're helping them grow professionally, but also you got to keep the doors open. You got to keep the programs running. You asked me earlier, you know, kind of why no, is anybody else doing this type of work? I did not apply for our 501c3 for a few years. So we started this in 2010, but I didn't, I didn't, we didn't get it until 2014. We had a fiscal sponsor and I was meeting with someone at a local foundation here regularly, who was a mentor of mine and finally got to a point And she said, you're ready do this. No one else is doing it. Do this. And here's the thing. People do do water education and they do do, you know, development projects in East Africa, but combined offering what we do in that combined way is what's special. So for our corporate partners who want to engage their employees locally with us volunteering on the beach, but they also are a global company. So they want to show global impact, but have their employees engaged. We can provide kind of both of those things. So we've, we've found that niche kind of work and in in, to our advantage most of the time. And listen, just because there's another nonprofit doing what you're doing doesn't mean that your need isn't there, right? Because everybody needs to understand the importance of water and everybody should be conserving. So there's not one nonprofit that's going to serve the however many billions of people who live on this planet, right? So it's an unfair question that I ask about, you know, is there another nonprofit that's doing what you're doing? Sure. But it's just, people always ask, should I start a nonprofit? My first question is, is there another nonprofit that's doing what you want to do that you can maybe work under or, you know, that you're going to be in competition with or whatever it is. And so that's why I asked that question. But for Mm -hmm. what what you do, I mean, the sky is the limit. There needs to be many, 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 many more organizations like yours with a new name that we're going to figure out together. (laughs) So you like fundraising. Give me your fundraising pitch. So if I am Mackenzie Scott and I want to figure out if I should write you a check, give me your pitch. Why should I give you money? 
I'll give you a Tupac line because we can make a dollar out of 15 cents. I don't know. Okay, no, I'll tell you. So specifically in East Africa, where we're building water and sanitation projects, we have a 100% success rate where 80% of water and sanitation projects fail in the first two years globally and permanently. And our projects last because of how we invest in people and the relationships with the communities and building trust and using good materials and monitoring the projects. Maybe they build a, a million wells a month and they check their boxes, they do their numbers, they turn in their reports and they walk away and they never go back. The communities never feel like they own these projects. So we take a little different approach and we have a human-centered approach. And you know, I think we can make someone's investment go farther. We all want to see this done. We want the projects lasting. Most donors have no idea the projects aren't lasting or they okay. wouldn't give. Okay, I'm in. I think water is so important and it's something, unfortunately or fortunately, we take it for granted. Anytime I turn on my tap, there's water that's going to be there. I, I don't even know how much I spend every month that I pay the city for it, but it's always there. And I think that's the problem. I don't mm -hmm. actually have to pay for it, truly. So I don't appreciate it. And the the way that the way that we can start understanding and conserving and really caring is appreciating it. And I think anytime you get anything that you just turn on a tap and it's there and you really don't pay for it that way, it's not helpful. So right. that is something that, you know, your organization will teach me anyway, is how lucky I am. I hope so. So is there anything else that you want folks to know about your organization, about changing something that they do, changing their behavior or continuing their behavior? What would you like people to know? Okay, two things. One is that we can all take steps to be more conscious consumers and whether that's consumer of water directly or indirectly through the goods that we buy and the businesses we support, we can all think of one thing that we can change today to consume in a more conscious way and a less impactful way. The second thing would be that the, the world water crisis is one of the cheapest problems in the world to fix. And so it doesn't matter if you have $5 or $500 million, there is something that you can do to help impact it so that people don't have to suffer in the world. So you don't have to be Elon Musk to solve the world water crisis. You can do that no matter what your pocketbook looks like. So don't feel like you can't engage in bigger issues. I mean, you just, every day you must wake up and be like, the sky is the limit. There's so much more to do. I'm so happy not to be running a nonprofit anymore. Because, <laughs> like it's never ending. No. Okay. So <laughs> folks who are listening, aside from a check, what do you yeah. want? What would help you that somebody can do? Do you want board members? Do you want people to you know, start a chapter in their city? Like what, what would help you from folks who are listening? One, if you have school-aged young people in your family or community, invite us to Zoom with them. Invite me to Zoom with them when I'm in Africa. Invite us to Zoom with them from Cleveland. We can do that now. We know we can do that. I would love to inspire the young people in your life to care about water and each other. I think the second thing would be to, you know, consider maybe foregoing a birthday gift or a holiday gift here and there to have your family help fund a well. It's not expensive to help a village. And so there's, there's a ways to give back that might be meaningful for you and your family. And then always volunteering expertise, mentoring, especially I am always looking for mentoring and, and help at my level, because I am also trying to develop. No one taught me how to fundraise. No one ta taught me how to run a nonprofit. I've figured it out with the support of others. And so if you have expertise that you'd be willing to share, I'm all ears. That's always helpful. And I have one last question. Can I eat shrimp on Mondays? Sure. <laughs> so meatless Monday, but I can have shrimp. That's what you're telling me. I can have shrimp. I'm not going to push any animal on you, but I would say stay away from the land-based animals. They are the most impactful on water. Okay. So you have my word that what you have done for me is I will do a meatless Monday, but I will have shrimp. By the way, Aaron, that makes me a real bad Jew, like a real bad Jew. And I don't understand. You tell me why it's shrimp, not kosher. 
You know, I think it has to do with the poop. I'm not really sure. It's not clean. No animal is clean. So I know. I live with a man. I know that. <laughs> okay. So that begs the question, right? If your husband happens to listen to this show, and we all know spouses don't do anything to support us. So, okay. <laughs> say that your husband is listening to this show. Like, I'm going to assume that he leaves like his clothes just around. Like he walks into the house and he puts the jacket somewhere and he puts the shoes somewhere and doesn't put them away, right? Like he doesn't do that. So all of the husbands that are listening out there, put your clothes in the closet where they belong, right? It's also good for conserving your marriage. Yes, yes. (laughs) Agreed. And maybe like do the dishes after you've had the meal and not just stick them on the counter, but like, wait, Mm. here's my question now. Water. Mm -hmm. So what do you think about a dishwasher? Use it. Okay. Aaron, we've learned some things. First of all, we've saved marriages. We've said to the Jews that they should eat shrimp and <laughs> and no cow on Monday. So if nothing else, I got that out that's, of it. That's great. I'm glad you got those very important points. So where can our listeners find you online to write you a big check? Drinklocaldrinktap.org for today until we change your name. Exactly. Although I honestly, though, I like your name. I mean, again, it says what it means. So I don't know if you need to change your name. I appreciate that you are two hours ahead of us in Ohio and you've given me this time. I appreciate you. You are a founder, which you're crazy for doing it, but you're doing amazing work. People need to know about you, need to understand the importance of water. And Mackenzie Scott, if you are listening out there, Please, 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 please write Erin a check because <laughs> small and she can and she's doing a lot on that small budget. She can use mm-hmm. it. Thank you. All right, Erin. Well, I hope you have a lovely evening and thank you very much for joining us and teaching everybody what it means to be a founder and the importance of water. Thanks for having me. Hey, Ashley. Hey, Matt. So what'd you think of our friend Erin? I mean, Aaron is truly a badass do-gooder, Matt. You know, we toyed around with that being the name of our show, and uh, for good reason, because all the people that we interview really are badass do-gooders, but Aaron is seriously, like every single day, she is out there fighting the good fight for us, for people in Uganda, literally for the world, and it's just remarkable. hmm Mm-hmm. I don't know, Ashley, if the people that we interview listen to our show. What do you think? Do you think that they listen to the show afterwards or no? Meh. Erin is literally saving the world. Does she have time to listen to Nonprofit on the Rocks? I mean, maybe she puts those earbuds in and listens while she's, I don't know, what is she doing? Drilling for water in Uganda? <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just saying she could listen to the show on the airplane. But if she does listen to this show, I appreciate everything that you do, Erin, and um, I'm doing my best to stop wasting water. On that note, tell us, if you would, who do we have coming up? Our next podcast, I love this woman. Her name is Tamika Farr. She is the CEO of Pathways LA, working with working families and education and kids. It is a really phenomenal place that if you don't know about, you will learn all about in our next podcast. Awesome. I can't wait to listen to it. And I hope everyone tunes in. And in the meantime, they can find us on all of our social media platforms and on YouTube or at our website, envisionnonprofit.com. <laughs>